Welcome back, everybody, to the Freaking Awesome Podcast, and this is episode 14. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> let's kill that bass head. Alright, let's do this. I'm on the air, we on the air, we got this pockets flow. It's me and Tony on the mics, we gotta let you know. Of current events, little gaming, sprinkling some entertainment. We stay humble, but our mom still thinks we're famous. Turn up the bass and baby, maybe let that magic flow. Our spoken word is all the things you really wanna know. Having a good time on the show, T-Bows and Maddie G. Tune in and hit subscribe and join us on the FAP. Hi everybody, today's guest has appeared on stage in front of thousands of fans worldwide. He has worked with the likes of uh, Chico Hamilton, Carly Simon, Nicole Merchant, sorry, Natalie Merchant, uh, and many other notable musicians. From the beginning, he has been the guitarist for the Spin Doctors and now has his own solo album titled Who's Shot John? Uh, please welcome to the show, Eric Shankman. Eric, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's uh, kind of wonderful we've... Uh, all kind of grown up listening to uh, Spin Doctors. Um, that's not to say how old I am. I actually precede that a little bit. <laughs> Matt, maybe. <laughs> I'm a I'm a '90s kid, yeah, man. So yeah. <laughs> that's to, cool. Yeah, um, we're gonna jump in. My uh, Matt, you want to start your question? Yeah, on? absolutely. So, all right. So let, let's jump back a few years, and and we'll start talking uh, a little bit about Spin Doctors. So, in the late '80s, early '90s, uh, you guys were rocking the main scene with uh, titles like Two Princes and Little Miss Can't Be Wrong. Um, how were things feeling? How did you expect things to, t- were you expecting things to take off like that? Uh, no, not really. We, we, um, we were a club band originally, like, uh, you know, bar band and, uh, and around like the late 80s, 86, I think is, was, or maybe it was 87. So we were, we went through like a couple of years, um, of, of bar just playing the bars from like, you know, nobody in it to packed to lineups out the door in New York, in the city itself. And then we started traveling out of the city. We, we bought a van, we made enough money to buy a van. So we bought a van and we started traveling out of New York. So that was kind of like phase one. And we got signed kind of around that same time when we started leaving the city. And, um, then, you know, we already had these songs that we were playing and, um, there was enough, they were catchy enough and Chris was a good, you know, he was, he was really a, a great frontman at the time. Like he still is, but I mean, he was, you know, and there was just a feeling like, you know, this could go, but it was really more our, our own like stupid feeling. It was, you know, like full of bravado and like, you know, figured like, Oh yeah, we can do, we can do this. We're making our rent. It was really coming from there. So I think in the end, I think our band, we were trying to make our rent. So we didn't really have our eye on, uh, you know, big band status or a big song or anything like that. Uh, we just really wanted to get over. So, you know, uh, that was phase one and phase two was we got signed. And then uh, before two, we did one little tour that almost lost the entire tour support that we had. Cause you don't know anything about tour support when you're young, you just figure it's free money. And then, uh, and then right at the end of that, um, we started getting played on two radio stations nationally uh, or two national radio stations. Uh, one at one, not national, but nationally. There was one in Hawaii and there was one in Vermont. And um, at the time, there was just radio. Uh, you know, I mean, MTV was just kind of, you know, I mean, it, it was there too, but the radio was uh, important. And uh, we were we were winning 
um, the call-in contests on both of these stations. I think it was Little Miss Can't Be Wrong, the song. And uh, it kept beating other artists. You know, every day they'd have, like, play this song and play that song. So um, one of those two DJs got in touch with Sony Music, where we made the record for CBS, Sony. And uh, then the company sort of pushed the button because the DJ, a guy named Jim McGuinn, actually said, you guys are crazy if you don't, you know try to get this nationally because it's, you know, the song is just eating up the competition, you know? So, mm -hmm. and that was the end of phase two. And then phase three was <laughs> what followed that sort of the mayhem phase. <laughs> you know, it's, it's really funny. You could mentioned about uh, like radio and, and uh, how you were just kind of making rent back in those days. Cause uh, when we had uh, Biff naked on the show, she was saying like, you know, back then artists were just about like, you got it. You expected to get paid in beer when you moved around. It, yeah. was, it was never really about money at the time. Yeah, money wasn't really. It's funny too. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't so much the money. It was like just you just needed enough money to get over. I mean, things. Well, I was in we were in Manhattan at the time, and and the rent was my rent was I think eight hundred dollars a month, and I lived. Aaron, the drummer, lived in the same apartment as me. Chris stayed there sometimes, and um, it was like a you know a, a hand me down college apartment. So, you know, if you think about it, uh, that's our rent was maybe three, $400 a month each. I don't even think Chris was paying rent anywhere. So our, <laughs> our bottom line, maybe, you know, $2,000 for the whole band. Yeah. So all we needed to do was make that much and the rest were living like Kings, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, when you think about it, like the, the cost of living back then, that that's actually still quite steep for, uh, for the times, right? Yeah. Not really. Yeah. No, not yeah. for New York. Not for New York. Yeah, I guess. It yeah. A, it, it was, a, it was the, you know what happened was right at that time would have been late 80s early 90s the uh that was the beginning of the rudy giuliani mayor of new york years and mm -hmm. and uh, during that time uh was the was sort of the, that was a heavy gentrification period for um for new york city mm -hmm. um it was the it was a, a really big push the middle class out like you know you were sort of left with the highs and lows yep. and that was the beginning of that so it's an interesting time to be in the city because you saw you, you got the old city and you got you got what was coming too. I, my my family actually hang on. You know what? I'm gonna walk away from that phone because it never stops ringing. Um, <laughs> the uh, the that uh, so we had you know the that was the beginning of that gentrification time. So um, uh, it actually the cost of living wasn't that high in New York. And another thing happened at the time which was amazing. Uh, there was a, a law in the city called the cabaret law that came from prohibition. So it came from like the thirties, forties, and it had to do with, I can't remember exactly technically, but it had to do with um, how many people could be on a stage in, in a bar, like performing at, uh, and how many of those bars were allowed to be in the city. And it had never been re re repealed. And the musicians union in 1986, they finally busted through that law. So between 86 and the end of that gentrification period, which I'll get to in five seconds, um, there was a huge, like, more clubs to play. There was a be suddenly a better music scene, right? Nice. And, uh, and then what happened to kill that, actually, my personal theory on the singer-songwriter revolution is that all of this gentrification, you know, all, the, all of the old warehouse buildings in the, in the downtown where all the cool clubs were, you know, they turned into lofts and condos and of course nobody wants a loud club downstairs yeah so eventually the money win wins and you get maybe you go back to folk singers but certainly you know bands you know places like that we played were on their way out by the end of you know by 2000 it was harder to find this but but for that period of time 
you know. So we kind of thrived right in that period of time. It was very right place, you know, right time, right place. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, now, speaking of the the two princes and Little Miss Can't Be Wrong, um, as as a co-writer of those songs, uh, what was the inspiration behind them? Because it sounds like there was a lot of like a lot of love and then possible love lost in there. Well, I think the stories are like those two stories are Chris's stories and um, like the lyric is Chris's. So, um, and Chris is like a, I guess he's kind of a folk singer, really. He sort of always, always was. This Spin Doctors was was Chris's first attempt at like doing anything other than just play, accompanying himself, right? And that was kind of my idea, actually. Um, and so what you have with those two songs is this like sort of, like a rock and roll redress of like Chris's childhood memories. Ah, <laughs> and, nice. Yeah. And, and between me and Aaron and, and Mark, um, you know, we, and, and the scene that we were in. Right. So those two songs were like born in that apartment I was talking about. And they, um, you know, um, and they reflect that, you know, like they, they, they're, they're rocking songs and, there's this element of pop to him because, uh, you know, I don't know who that is. I think that's probably Chris, but mm-hmm. there's just this thing that, you know, we have in our songs when we write songs, there's always a little, there, there's always the danger of a little hooky thing like that. I mean, Two Princes is a really funny song. There's no, there's no chorus really. If you think about that's it, right. it's yeah. just, it's just a verse in a, or the chorus is the, it's like, it's just kind of like, there's definitely no yeah it's like there's no chorus it's like it's all just the same thing it's kind of like an electric doo-wop song to me sort of feels like you know an electrified sort of funkified sort of southern backbeat version of uh you know an old 50s you know like um you know song you'd see in a scorsese movie yeah like yeah Yeah, it it definitely sounds like chris maybe had some really crappy luck with love (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah he's full of that story you know i think it's like over the years it, it it's like it was a real boon back then because you know he's chris is like a great front man he's 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 got some of the stuff that he's got in his back pocket you know nobody you couldn't find anywhere right like his so the way that he wears his uh his thoughts on his sleeves free associates the way that he can sing too and uh you know it's like um you know, but in, on the other hand, you know, the guys like at that time, it was great to have those kind of stories, but you have to grow out of that. And then when they become hits, you know, it's it's sort of difficult to move on. I think, you know, I think it's been a bit of a struggle. There was probably a decade in there that was kind of tough to get through the mud of the of the aftermath of, of having like a song like that. You know what I mean? But anyways, you know, hey, man, nobody's complaining. I'm just saying I have to uh, I have to congratulate you because uh, when I was growing up, so I was born in 87 and uh, right. when I was growing up, there were three three forbidden songs that you could not skip, and uh, it was Two Princes, Jumper, and uh, um, Wonderwall. Those oh, were like yeah. the three <laughs> forbidden songs that you could not skip, and uh, and and you guys were were one of them. So I I have to commend you for helping uh, shape my my entry into yeah. the music world when I was you know a '90s kid and. And, yeah, it's uh, funny, man. That year, those couple of years for that song. That song is like I've I run into lots of people over the years that that are like, you know, that's that song affected me this way. That song affected me that way. I've worked for people that like hired me because of you know because of how that song made them feel. Like it's it's funny, um, 
Yeah, you know, thanks, thanks for saying so, man. <laughs> no like problem, I said, man. You know, we spent a lot of time like working that one. That's for sure. But it was like, you know, it was really a fun. It's a funny song, actually. It almost really never saw the light of day because uh, the first song that they, we we made it as the first single, kinda, and we made a video for it, and then we didn't put it out. Um, for whatever reason, we did a, one for Little Miss Can't Be Wrong instead, and they put Little Miss Can't Be Wrong out as the first single, and um, and then we had some like you know one thing happen, one thing to the next. It was just lucky we got the second single because it was kind of like I think everybody knew that if we got to hit Two Princes as a second you know tune in a top forty situation, that it would just rule. Mm-hmm. There was always just a feeling with that song that like you know this song could do no wrong like if 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 there were, if people hear it they're going to like it and that was the f- good fortune was that we got a we got a t- little miss can't be wrong opened the door enough it was like kind of a you know sort of a straighter well for rights a rock and roll song it's got more you know more like post georgia satellites you know yep. chuck mm-hmm. berry kind of thing and and then you know at the time this is way pre Me Too movement, so it was still the lyric was wasn't even risky at the time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now everything's risky. Yeah. <laughs> so we we opened the door with that one, as it were, not on purpose necessarily, but then when when they, when we were able to hit another one, and we had a little bit of record company behind us, it, it just like it was like wildfire. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah. You had to be there. It's almost like you had to be there. Like if you were around back then, you'd be like, oh yeah, I remember that. love it yeah so i was (laughs) so being in a band um for for 30 years plus you must have had a lot of ups and downs with these with these folks and um i mean they probably become like family at some point so i have yeah we're like four functional brothers right (laughs) so i have to i have to know how often were you guys pranking each other um like plenty you know there's like plenty but more like I think our shit was more like, um, it's funny. That's a good question, actually. Like we did stuff. We didn't necessarily prank each other so much, so much. So we, but we, we did like, uh, like we had a lot of good times together on the road. Like, like it was more like we were like, it was more like we were surviving. We, we just figured out how to survive and now we had a little bit of luck. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, we have legendary stories, not that many, but there's like the time we left Chris at the drug stop by mistake. Like, <laughs> oh, sure. You know? By mistake. <laughs> and bear in mind, this is before cell phones, right? Yeah. So really, <laughs> you, leave, you, leave, you leave some guy at the freaking bus, especially the lead singer, you leave your lead singer at the freaking truck stop in the middle of the night, yeah. you know, with that with the hat on, you know. <laughs> yeah. When, yeah. You, were, when like, you run into some big trucker named Bubba, you don't call <laughs> for help. You you blow your whistle. <laughs> your, your, CB, your CB radio, you know. Yeah. So. So, you know, like that. And then, you know, we, but we used to play like we'd like we we'd pass the time by like just like joking with each other. We just did a lot of fucking joking and a lot of like sort of camaraderie. Like it's interesting, really. And then the other stuff was all music. Right. Like, it's funny. We have this conversation sometime the other day. Actually, we were having this conversation that uh, like this band, this band Blues Traveler, if you know how I'm talking about. Oh, it, yeah. They, yeah. They're like contemporaries of ours. Right. So um, we know we know them super well. And uh you know, they're we're contemporaries and, and those guys actually Chris grew up with those guys, but those guys grew up together, right? Okay. We put ourselves together like, you know, young to mid twenties, you know, two of us were well, I was in my mid twenties and 
Aaron and Chris were like 21. And so, um, you know, we, our musical thing, and we also met in a musical situation in a musical city and everybody was trying to be a musician. So it was sort of like we didn't grow up together, but we were really close contemporaries with a band that did grow up together. Not only did they grow up together and, you know, they stayed a band uh, until Bobby died. He was the bass player. Um, And then they had to, you know, they, they had to do the next thing. They got other guy, but uh, who actually turned out to be the guitar player's brother. But anyways, yeah. the point is, is that uh, our our thing sort of had this level of seriousness too, right? Like the four of us are all really sort of serious musicians. Like we never stopped uh, going forward trying to study our thing. You know, we we all kind of go in a little bit different directions, but we still play all those songs together, and we never get bored of them. It's, there's always this sort of push, you know, musically. And and I think, um, you know, rather than prank each other, I think that there was a lot of good camaraderie, a lot of competition musically and a lot of kind of like, you know, friction between 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 us. And uh, which ultimately ended up in me quitting, actually, for seven years between uh, 90, 80. When did I quit? Ninety five and 2000. I think it was I quit um, that late, late 94. And those guys made two ridiculous records and had like a bunch of other band members and then eventually ended up like cutting me back in. And the original four guys, we've been together longer than we were together and apart for the first phase. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, it's kind of like so that's not so much, you know, I I can't really go back and think of although it's like, you know, we're kind of lunatics. We're wackos. Right. So just to hang out with us and become, you know, it's, you know, it's sort of ridiculous. It's hard to describe. <laughs> it's a show in itself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm going to watch that show. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So do I. <laughs> That'll be the next reality show. Um, yeah. <laughs> Should have been. Yeah, that would have been a good one, actually. <laughs> yeah, so that's our thing. We're kind of like largely dysfunctional, and but we're all we're we're really all about the music too. So it's not so much like you know. I think I said it. Yeah, you you uh, actually had also mentioned uh, about uh, how MTV was just kind of coming around, and and music videos yeah. were only just kind of becoming you know at the beginning of of yeah, I guess like it was, it was just starting out, just getting into mainstream kind of thing. Um, yeah, yeah. And yeah. but even then, like the technology was still quite limited. So like, has the the Spin Doctors ever wanted to like redo one of their music videos for those original hits? Oh, I'd like to redo all of them. I mean, if that was something, <laughs> if, yeah. that's, if that's something that was done, you know, like I would like because I can only watch like one and a half of them. I like the Two Princes <laughs> video a lot. Yeah, um, but you know, the other ones are sort of ridiculous. Um, they're cool, but I mean, yeah, at the time I, they were. I, yeah, I, you see them now. I'm looking back. I was like, oh. It's, oh, it's ridiculous. It's just, it's yeah. just them walking around. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah. it turns from, to color. Oh, yeah, it's like, it played so much yeah, better like, in my head. <laughs> I know the landscape was lean back then for like effects and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, and it was really it's funny too because it was like super important for like everything for the lip sync to be correct and stuff like that, which is ridiculous when you think about it because none of it was actually being played at the time. So yeah, it's sort of a funny. The ethics were different. The technology was so different. Yeah. Um, it was still like really fun, they, but, but, you know, they cost so much money too, right? Yeah, so, exactly. Like, yeah. I mean, nowadays that, you don't even see artists like actually really singing. They're, they're driving cars and they're, they're walking and they're playing basketball and they're doing things that they don't even need to be singing. The music's just going on in the background. They don't have to worry about yeah, like, t- time to lip sync. If you go on like, like my YouTube channel, it's like, it's not that extensive, but my YouTube channel, I have like 
probably a playlist of a bunch of old spin doctors videos from the 90s and then i also have the shit that i've been doing this year behind my record mm-hmm. and which is you know the most that i can kind of get together like on my own on my shoestring right like because it's my it's it's my solo thing that's yep. a whole other story but anyways referring getting into that it's like so yeah people go out and check it out because actually i've made like five super cool videos this this year and they're all different mm-hmm. and they're all kind of messing with those values that you're talking about and why the reason why is because I actually can't help it. I wanted to make some video um, because the technology is so good. And I've been sort of working with this friend of mine downtown and we've put like, you know, these, these different things together. Some are live, some aren't, there's just different things we mess with. Um, Some of them I play left-handed and uh, some of them I'm a cartoon character. So um, the point is, is that like, you can just do that now right and like the values are so different it doesn't matter yeah everybody knows you're not really playing everybody knows it's not really this it's not really it's more like the technology is is actually a part of the language now it's yeah. like using that effect using that camera using this you know trying to do is it, so it's fascinating to me it's back then the videos were like i don't know they were like super serious yeah. really <laughs> And now you get they to play were, rock and sock and robots at the beginning of a run. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my God, Eric, you know it'd so, be so fucking hilarious, man. If you like built all this hype up, and you're like, yeah, I'm gonna redo the old Spit Doctors videos, and literally it's just the same video with a CGI <laughs> a UFO in the background. Uh, yeah. so, you know, that's so funny. Yeah, exactly. Well, we probably, I think the serious answer to that question would be that uh, we're getting ready to, I think January, we've got like 10 days blocked out with gigs on either end in New York City, and we're going to start writing, um, which is really easy for for us. We write really, really quickly and easily together. Um, Mm -hmm. But normally that's like like our Achilles heel because then we'll, we're also lazy as, as hell and fairly cheap. So we're like, Oh, well, that sounds good. We'll just put our last record was like literally a test, like a day in the studio. And we're like, we came out with these 10 blues songs that were all cut live. And we're like, let's just put this out. And actually it's a really good record um, because that's, you know who we are. Right. But, but this time, you know, I, I think it's the answer to your question is I think, um, cause I'm really into video at this point like i said you can check my shit out it's it's real good but i i i want to bring the doctors like and i they do too i mean but but we're gonna i would rather make new stuff rather than old stuff mm-hmm. um you know however maybe the new stuff gets people out to revisit the band because we play those old songs live yeah. video of those old songs is fine with me yeah um you um, know and then that's a lot of things right a lot of people come out yeah. for the old times and 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 not necessarily into the new times. I remember when Great Big C played here and uh, everybody came out for, for all these old songs and, and they played nothing but new songs. And I'd never seen so many people walk away disappointed. Um, yeah. You know, and, and it's it's kind of like, well, it's not to say their new songs were bad. They were they were good. They just would have been nice to revisit some of the old songs yeah. that people come for in a concert, right? I, I think I think when yeah, you've had... I'm old school like that too, man. Like I actually feel... Um... I, I I feel a little bit like I don't know like remedial sometimes because like my attitude towards new songs is kind of what you just said like I actually maybe it's that I'm a bit of a jazz musician in my or a jazz blues musician in my heart it's like I always want to take another look at the thing mm-hmm. I always want to like be every time you do you feel like you know if it's a strong structure if the song's a good song like take two princes for example you're not going to fuck with that tune like if you can play that tune like that you're going to play it like that because mm-hmm. you know how it works it it works like that and but 
within it, you know, within the interplay of the four of us, like we change shit all the time in there. Like as, but you know, it's kind of like one of those things where you, 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 you don't really let the curtain down. Like it's still doing the magic, but you're having fun with it too. It's like a good passing game. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's sort of like, and that's how you, that's how the music stays alive. And my point is, is that like, you know, when people come out and they got it, they're going to play their own new stuff. That's great for them because it's really for them. Mm-hmm. And they're, you know, they're saying, well, you came here because of who you, who we, with the identity and, but here, here's our new stuff. And we think you're going to like it. So like it or, you know, dig it. But to me, I think we've learned that lesson. It's like, you know, dude, we, there isn't a spin doctor's gig that happens unless we're playing two sets at a club in New York where we don't play two princes last. It almost never happens. And there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Cause if we play little miss can't be wrong somewhere at the beginning, or Jimmy Olsen blues, which is a better example because it's actually a really cool song. Yeah. The, and and two princes at the end, you know. I mean, if you point your set with stuff that people recognize, you can play a lot of new stuff in between, and you know, they'll they'll give you a chance. With sandwiches. It. I think. Yep. Yeah, I think people feel a bit like you know jilted when they when you don't give them, you know. And it's not to say that you. It's not like I don't really think people want to hear like some like really really crusty like you know. Um, you know, sterilized version of an old song as if it's like been the same, you know, it's like, wow, that old thing, you know, it's like, but it's, you know, if it's full of life and the music, the the guys are like, you know, kicking it, you know, like, and then the new stuff is in, is in the midst of that, you know, and it lives up to it and it surpasses it. Well, you know, there's, there's your mark right there. You know, you're going to go, all these guys kick ass. Yeah. Speaking of which, it's really funny because I don't think I've ever seen anybody create or, or remash up that song. I mean, it was perfect the way it was. So I'm, I'm quite glad because I, I feel like if someone had taken two princes and, and then remade it or, or did it differently, I'd probably want to beat them to death with a guitar. So yeah. Yeah. At the guy oh, household, if two princes is on, yeah. you don't touch the fucking dial. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good example of that, man. It was like a really, you know, it was just a very like, right. Like I said, man, that happened. That song happened. A lot of things happened when we were recording that song, actually, that made it even better. Uh, for example, it was, it was a little faster. We always played it a little faster than that. And it wasn't until we recorded that version of it, at this guy named Frankie, who was our A and R guy. There's a trip into the past. We had an A and R guy, like <laughs> artist repertoire at the at the at the at the at the label, you know. And uh, he actually was a cool dude. This guy Frankie Larocca, he had these big black glasses, and uh, he's from Jersey, and uh, he looked like he should be in the Sopranos. And, uh, <laughs> nice. And he was a drummer too. He played on. I'm trying to remember the song. He played on. Um, he played on a Brian Adams song actually, and he played. Oh, God, I wish I could remember. He's on a couple of rock and roll songs from like the 80s that you would know. And then he became a a record guy. And Frankie and us and the engineer, we produced that record together. We were the producers, right? So we were just sitting there hacking that stuff out. The band had been playing live so heavily. It's hard to kind of describe to you. Like we were in a city of 9 million people. I said that we didn't get out of the city. We bought a van at the beginning of this when I was telling you guys. Like we were playing like five nights a week and wow. New York, the clubs were open till four. So we were playing three sets every time we play a, a show. Right. So the band had like in the first two years of the group, by the end of those two years, we were like on fire, like, because we played so damn much, you know? So when we came in to record, we'd done a couple of tapes just for our fans because we were doing good in the clubs and 
tapes, cassette tapes. So we'd go in the studio and record some shit and, you know, put it out. And all those songs that were on Kryptonite were, you know, scattered in those tapes that we made. And um, so when it when we got this record deal um, and we went into the big studio, you know, <laughs> ironically, where I used to make coffee, um, <laughs> at, you know, it's like, well, we actually cut two princes was cut at power station um and then the rest of it was cut at rpm but um uh when we when we went to make the record like we had been playing the songs so much that like it was it was like what's that you know they'd like they'd hit like critical mass like they were you know it's just like when it was like your old jeans you know it's like you'd worn these songs so many times so these last little things that happened to them were like the icing on the cake and frankie says he said a lot of stupid things actually during that session. But the one thing that he said, cause he was a drummer and he loved Aaron. Aaron's a great drummer. Mm-hmm. And he says, man, you know what? You got to take that. Let's like, make it slower, make it a little slower. And we took it back just a little bit. And it, just, man, it just like, cherry? it just got, it got really wide and really huge. Like just, it was like, so the right thing to do. And then of course there was like, Chris sang it. Great. We got this, that sound, the power station drum sound is insane. I was actually standing next to Aaron when he played the drums. Like he was in the big room. It's an elliptical room. He set the drums up in the, in the folk focus of the ellipse. It's got two focuses in the one, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, well, Mark was in a booth. Chris was in a booth out the room. And, uh, for whatever reason, I was like to stand next to the drummer. So I had my amp was in some room and I had this long cord and I was like standing right beside his hi hat when he went, you know, I was like, I was standing right the hell there for that whole drum track. <laughs> That's so awesome. cool. That's a huge part of the song. <clears throat> and then phase three was trying to cut the solo. It was the very last thing. And I couldn't, cause I always just winged the solo live, you know, but we needed like, you know something right yeah. and uh i just couldn't i knew it was important and i just you know i was like freezing i couldn't find anything i was like nah that's not gonna work this thing you know it was one of those things everything else was easy on that record and then so aaron says to me it's like four o'clock in the morning on this one night we'd been sort of working on this trying to get something you know and i wanted to be live and i you know it need to hit the song right and and uh you know um we're standing there and the sun's starting to come up it's like on 12th Street, Manhattan. The sun's turning to rise. And he looked, I said, man, I don't know what to do. He goes, why don't you smoke some weed? <laughs> Solves everything. <laughs> yeah. like, That's a good idea. So I smoked this bowl of weed, and then I went in, and I got, I, I got that solo like pretty much right away. That's awesome. <laughs> Best advice Clarity. Ever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't always work that way, kids. But right. <laughs> uh, that's awesome, man. Yeah. Well, I uh, another question for you. Um, when you guys were, were, um, taken off, uh, that was kind of back when grunge was starting to, to become really huge as well. So did you yeah. guys ever feel the pressure to switch up, uh, your music or did you guys always kind of stick to your guns? Um, that's, you know, we were like the other side of that. Like we were so opposite, um, grunge, like in the sense that we were like kind of, I know our image was more way more like kind of dorky weird like that and like then all the the cool guys from Seattle with the grungy cool guys from Seattle but ironically you know like we just slayed live especially Mm -hmm. back then and I played super loud as well I had a really good guitar sound and it was like a lot of stuff about us that like I'll just let me just say this I, I remember playing at the MTV Music Awards at Universal at 
uh, in, in LA, uh, I guess it was 94, I think 94. I don't know if there's a, if there's video out there or not. We played two princes. We rarely played two princes. We uh, like got those things. We usually picked a different song. Like you won't see it on Letterman. I don't think we played it on SNL either. We just, for whatever reason, are sort of stubborn. And, uh, <laughs> Um, you want us so to play? We did, no, but, we're not going to play what you want. Well, we it there and that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the Universal gig was like, it was just all bands and industry, you know? Mm-hmm. It was like Pearl Jam was there, Nirvana was there, John Paul Jones's band was there, Lenny Kravitz was there. You know, I mean, just everybody that, everybody that was like famous in 1993 was there. And, um, and we played it was just such a high point for, for my own personal mind because we played two princes and I, I, I just like, like I said, I used to play like this hundred watt Marshall amplifier and I turned it up and, uh, and those songs are pretty simple. It's not like there's a lot of pedals going on or anything like that. It's pretty goddamn good crunchy guitar with a, with a, with a ferocious rhythm section mm-hmm. and then Chris. And it's like, you know, it's sort of like, I just remember looking at, I was looking at Kurt Cobain. <laughs> it was really really very satisfying it was a great thing i i my answer is my answer is like we never that was actually the day that dave Aberzies from pearl jam too he like pranked us he pranked us real good actually yeah he go got on <laughs> you're, you'll, you'll like this he got on the intercom and he said that the bass player from the spin doctors had like stolen a golf cart <laughs> and um they were like and like the security was like flipping out and it was going through the intercom and they were like and it was really really and later it's funny because when i took my hiatus from the doctors it was exactly the same time when uh, dave got fired from pearl jam we actually became friends like right then and there yeah. so he's a, he's a good buddy in uh, uh but that was a funny prank but anyways my answer that was my answer to your question is that uh is that um we didn't really want to be we didn't we didn't feel any need to borrow from that there was no we were from new york that was from seattle um you know whenever we got up and played with those guys we always felt like competitive and back then we were really quite successful you know it's like grunge has survived a lot better than you know the the uh the ferocity of the spin doctors which is fine it's just the way it is but i mean it's like at the time believe me it's like you know it was fun to watch those it was really fun to watch people watch the band play the song they heard too much that year and expect it to be one way and have it be this kind of like well this guy sound a bit like the who what's going on you know yeah yeah yeah. that's cool man that's amazing that's amazing um so despite that uh, kind of pop rock feel that the Spin Doctors had. Um, there was a lot of deep kind of blues undertones in in a lot of the music, yeah. and and I think as the albums kind of progressed, that more that more and more of that blues kind of came out. Um, was was that kind of like your your main style, or was that like an interest that kind of has pushed you now more into that blues? Uh, no, genre? it's always been there. Yeah, like I uh, I right from the very beginning. Uh, well, no, I mean I started playing the guitar when I was like one wow it's just it's Holy always shit. not like seriously i wasn't like studying segovia or anything no <laughs> I, I, i'm like I, I just my dad was a cellist my mom played the flute and uh i just they're the guy next door had a guitar they they fought a lot and i just would go over next door and grab the guitar so i've been playing for a, for a long long time but when my parents split up was when we moved to toronto actually when i was a kid and um my my old man was in the, the toronto symphony and uh yeah. And my mom, we didn't have enough bread really to stay in the neighborhood that we moved into with my dad unless we got a, you know, a border or somebody to live in a front room. So back then, Toronto was like 
a lot of houses with a lot of different apartments in it. It wasn't like it is now. Now mm. it's like all gentrified, you know, it's like one, one family houses, you know, everybody's, you that's a whole other conversation. In any <laughs> case, you know, um, at the time she, uh, she had a couple of boarders in a row that were guitar players. And I learned a lot from those guys. And then since she was a musician too, she just kind of like pushed me into there. It was this little place that had some guitar teachers, uh, near our house. And so I got, I just, you know, I just picked up stuff from here, picked up stuff from there, but largely it was like, for whatever reason, it was either the kind of the seventies rock, late sixties, seventies stuff. Cause that's the time period. Or it was these guys that like knew how to do this old blues finger picking one way or another. Right. Mm -hmm. So I had this kind of funny, uh, like, like way back, I learned how to do like simple finger picking and I learned like how to play kind of like Mississippi style guitar. I didn't know it at the time, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then, so yeah, so it's always been my, you know, sort of like part of my backbone. And then as I've grown older, it's become more and more important for me to like find sort of, you know, research it, find the history of it, where's how it works, you know, how I can, how I can, um, you know, frame my, my guitar self, like with something that like, you know, strong, strong structure like that. Like mm -hmm. the blues to me is, you, you know, it's like the, the, zen it's of blues. Kind of the, it's the mother tongue, really. Like it, everything can come from there. You, jazz, there ain't no jazz that I like that doesn't have a strong like thread of blues in it. Mm -hmm. Even free music, you know, punk rock, all of that stuff to me is like if I can hear the blues in it, I like it. Nice. So yeah, were yeah. you more were you more studio uh, studious or did you play by ear? Like when you were um, first learning, I both. Yeah, I. I play by ear because my eyes aren't that good so i don't i really don't read very well i can read but i don't i, pr I prefer not to and um and my ear's pretty good and uh and, and i like yeah I, i've learned a lot more by ear but i've also learned by like you know taking the time to check out people that i really admire like teachers people that are, like players that i like you know like i've gone out of my way to try to learn from people um that that, that can do it you know mm -hmm. nice people. nice so, uh, who shot John? Uh, give us a rundown uh, with with your inspiration behind that. I I heard that um, you were writing it like twenty years ago, and it finally came to fruition. Or is that true? Yeah, it's a it's a song that uh, about twenty five years twenty years ago I was playing in a, a Zydeco band, um, and we did a lot of stuff like that. Uh, that who shot John song is is to me is um, it's kind of like Zydeco without an accordion, which kind of sounds a bit like ska, and uh, so. so um, we did a lot of stuff, a lot of a lot of New Orleans music, and um, and um, Jimmy Mack, the guy that I was working for, he played a lot of accordion, and some of it was sort of folkier Cajun stuff, and some of it was was more like you know the New Orleans stuff. Anyways, I had this you know song going kicking around in my head. This 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 Who Shot John lyric was also there. It was like Who Shot John at the Mardi Gras. That was all it was. It was just the title of that groove. And I thought I'm going to finish this one day. And uh, <clears throat> when I started doing the gig that I've been doing for the last three years here in Toronto, which is largely blues, mm -hmm. but actually if you're ever in Toronto Wednesday, you come down and see me, what I've just said about the music, about how I learned how to play, you'll see instantly that that's where I'm coming from because um, it's a blues bar and I play blues, but we play like, lots of other shit in there too but it's not like it stays true to the blues because it's a blues bar it's it's an ethic anyways um you know um who shot john was um 
was this lyric that was kicking around. And then when I started doing the gig, you know, of course, if you're playing a club now, you need people to dance. I'm sorry, but yeah, yep, absolutely. At least there has to be <laughs> for me anyway. So, so I was like, we were doing some new Orleans songs and I thought, you know, what's, I don't know, we should do that tune. And so I, I sort of, I finished it off. I kind of like wrote the rest of the lyrics, a couple of three, four verses, I guess, and put, put some bits in there, bridge, two bridges and a weird chorus thing and, uh, finished the lyric. And then, uh, we've been playing it. I sort of played it out a little bit. Like I said, like we were talking about, it's good to play songs that you're right. Like, cause they're not, you can't just, to me, you don't write a song and just play it and then, Maybe a great pop song is like that, like it stays the same forever. But many, many songs, like you need to work them through. Some stuff changes, things modulate, you know, you find out stuff along the way. It's largely a journey, really. And, and uh, uh, you know, um, this one, I ended up, after we worked it in the club for a while, and I knew it was a good tune because people like dancing to it, and I like singing it, um, I came time to record and that wasn't really a time. So here's my story about how the record got made too, by the way, is like, uh, so I, um, a couple of things happened in my life. I had some more free time suddenly. And I thought, you know what? There's a bunch of songs that some of them I've even recorded or I've, I've written uh, for other people. And, um, but I really want to put, I want to make a collection of songs and record them the way that I think they should have been recorded the best I can, you know, and arrange them myself and this and that and sing everything. And, uh, so um, I I went first to I have two drummer friends that I worked with Van in New Jersey Van Romain he's a serious motherfucker he I, weirdly his main gig is Enrique Iglesias his drummer and a musical director which is just totally bizarre wow. but I mean the guys played with everybody from Deep Purple to yeah, to uh, he's, he's Steve Morris's drummer for thirty years. Uh, oh, wow. Also, he played with Bootsy. I mean, uh, he was Bernie Worrell's drummer. The, the Woo Warriors. That's like P Funk, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, he, so I went to Vans. I cut some stuff there. And the second guy is Cody Dickinson, down from Mississippi. I I went down to Mississippi. Cody, I've known for a long time. He's got a band called the North Mississippi All Stars. And uh, so I was down at Cody's place, and he plays electric washboard. And I said, man, will you play electric washboard on this tune that I have? And he was like, I haven't played that in a few years. And I said, well, come on. So he said, okay. So now he, he, he got it back out of that thing. And he thanked me for it later because he's playing it a lot now. Um, it's not just my fault. He already played great electric washboard. Nice. Plays it with like a walk pedal. Check this guy out. He's great. Cody Dickinson, North Mississippi All-Stars. Anyways, uh, so um, he goes, what's this one called, man? Because I was at his place. <laughs> I go, who shot John? And he goes, <laughs> oh, my, my old man used to say that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, so this is like 25 years later. right now. Mm -hmm. This thing's been kicking around. And now it's finished. And I've been playing it. And I'm like, what? That's awesome. <laughs> and he goes, oh, my old man. He says, my old man used to say that all the time. You know, like he used to say, like, you know, come on. Now, don't, don't give me that who shot John about, you know, yeah. shit. Yeah, I, yeah. Tell me. It's just tell me what's what's really going on. I don't want to hear all the bullshit. Yeah. That's what it means. Yeah. That's the expression. That's what it means. And when he said that, I was just like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. And it was like the tune finished itself in my head. Anything that wasn't done it was like filtered back around. And I knew his dad, too, so it made it even better. Um, Jim was like an amazing record producer. Uh, uh, he played piano on Wild Horses um, by the Rolling Stones. Okay. That's him. Yeah. Wow. And uh 
uh, yes, yeah, so that's 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 the Who Shot John story. It became the title of the record because I just thought, like, well, that's kind of a weird thing to title a record. I'm going to title a record that, and it's an upbeat tune. You can mm-hmm. dance to it, and it's a lot of fun to sing. It's kind of got a moral message, but it's got nothing to do with anybody shooting anybody, even <laughs> though it's a mild, kind of weird analogy in the song itself. You know, it's more just like, a, don't give me that bullshit. Like, live a good life, enjoy your day, have a, you know, like do what you want to do, like within reason and. Don't let anybody tell you. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Now, with all the the touring and traveling you've done, um, so when we we had Biff Naked on the show uh, a few weeks back, and she was telling us that she'd never met another band she didn't like, do you share that same feeling? That's a great question. Uh, No, I actually, I've met bands I don't like. Yeah, I'm going to counter that. Here's what we think. I say we think, too, because we had this conversation recently. The band, Aaron, was we were talking about this. The kind of, the bands that I don't like are the bands that don't get off the fucking stage when they're supposed to. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's that's fair, <laughs> man. It's like you're done. Get off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's not like and it's not like a hate thing. It's not like they get off and you're like, you motherfuckers, I hate you. You know, it's like <laughs> yeah. it's you know what I mean. It's like it's like it's just yeah. Like I no, I do meet you, the band that I don't like of, of the band. You ever meet a band you don't like? The band that I don't like is the band that like. They're real nice to you, and then they get up on stage and look you right in the eye and play 15 minutes. <laughs> I don't care if you're Elton John. You get the fuck off the stage. <laughs> That's, right. 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 That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, that's awesome, man. What's uh, <laughs> to follow up the, uh, the the negativity here? What's what's the worst gig you've ever played? The worst gig. Yeah. Like, what what sticks out in the memory? That's just like that was shit. Um. I hate playing on boats, so probably it would be a boat gig. Yeah, um, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, probably it would be a boat gig. Like, let me see. I played, um, hey, but you know what? It wasn't the worst gig, so I can't really qualify. Let me think. Oh, I got one for you. Yeah, I think probably the worst gig. Now, it, you, I, I just qualified by saying that a lot of times the worst gig is actually memorable and turns into, like, one of the better gigs as as time goes on, and this one falls into that category. Okay. So we played. Where the Spin Doctors were probably 1990, we were on tour with uh, uh, our one of our first sort of. We were in the van still, but we were going national. So, um, and you know, we had an agent and stuff, and uh, we were being opened up for by a band called Lucy Brown, a great band, kind of like Living Color. Uh, the singer died uh, unfortunately, um, but they were a really great rock band, and um, so we were doing this double tour, like double bill thing with them. We'd see them at the gig. We'd meet them at the next gigs, type of thing. So one night, <laughs> we played a. There's a place in anybody that's been. It will instantly like. Oh yeah, a place called Harpo's Concert Theater in Detroit. Okay. And okay. Uh, this, this place was like just outside the loop. And at the time, and maybe it still is, it was like a nasty, bad like crack on the crack dealers on the corner. Like clearly, like actually, Sean Giblin and I, God rest his soul, he used to be our sound guy. And I used to drive with him. He's not with us anymore. He and I were sitting out in the Econoline smoking grass because it was the only place where we could because you were allowed to park the trucks right alongside of the of the of the venue. Okay, but they 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 advised you not to leave the truck, and the security would watch the trucks. Like there was a security guy right there, and like we were just sitting, (laughs) we're sitting there smoking a joint or cigarette or something. I just remember sitting there and we were watching these cats get just busted over and over again on the corner, like. (laughs) Because they they were selling drugs to people driving by, and then the cops would come and bust some guys, and then some other guys would come. It was like literally <laughs> <laughs> conveyor belt. 
Yeah, and it, it was, you know, it's that kind of neighborhood. And uh, they wouldn't let, you really weren't allowed to leave the venue. Like it was advisable not to do that. And and uh, and so that makes it memorable. But the bad part of it was, it's an old, you know, uh, movie theater, a big movie theater with like a huge simplex projector from like the early days and this huge cavernous place. And in the loading dock, it had, it was, it's been signed by like everybody that you ever heard of from Detroit, like everything, MC5, Wayne Kramer, Iggy Pop, like everybody's, but you just, this and, and then national access, huge wall of graffiti, but okay, here's the punchline. But on this particular night, we, meaning the tour, both of us were sandwiched in between the main act, first and second act, wet t-shirt contest. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was like five times as loud as we could muster on the PA system because it was like the ooch, ooch, ooch machine. You know? <laughs> yep. And, and it was like, dude, that was, and then everybody in the club, well, first of all, everybody was largely white in the club and they'd come from elsewhere, you know, to get there. It wasn't like, it wasn't the neighborhood. It was like, it, so you couldn't go out. You had to, you had to be in there. It's probably why we were in the trucks because when we weren't on stage, this place was just so loud. You couldn't be anywhere. Not only that, but it was like fucking wet, wet t-shirt contest. And I mean, it's one thing if you, I suppose if you want to be at one and that's great, but if like working as the intermission, yeah. Dude, I'm telling you, it's not the best. So that's one of the ones that stands out to me. Lisa fills a house. Yeah. <laughs> no, but, you know, listen, like you leave very demoralized after a gig like that. You're yeah. like, that's that's why I picked it because that's kind of that's kind of gig where like everybody leaves going, that was like the worst gig of my life. <laughs> so, <laughs> this is why they don't have bands at Hooters. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That, that's L- right. Live music. Yeah. Only at Hooters. Yep. All right, uh, so we're going to get into our uh, rapid-fire questions section. Rapid-fire questions. Matt's going to ask you 20 questions and just come up with the first thing that comes to your head. Okay. All right. Favorite movie of all time? The Irishman. Netflix or Disney Plus? Netflix. Favorite food? Chinese. Favorite book? Um, uh, the Horse's Mouth. Favorite Marvel character? Spider-Man. Favorite song from the past year? Uh, good question. Can't answer it off the top of my head, I don't think. Okay. Um, I come back to that one. We'll just, say, we'll, time to we'll just say own, something but... by Taylor Swift. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <you know. laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Actually, no, that, that, uh, that, it's probably that Billy Eilish song. Okay. The bad guy. Back nice. Back I actually on. like that song. Yeah. Uh, favorite DC character? Uh, Green Lantern. Nice. Green Hornet, Green Lantern, I think, yeah. Yep. Beer, scotch, or wine? Mm, scotch. PC or Mac? Mac. iPhone or Android? iPhone. Poutine or fish and chips? Wow. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they don't have to make sense. We never yeah. said they were going to make sense. Yeah. Right, that'll be- good man. That's yeah. a good Canadian yeah. answer. Uh, Metallica or ACDC? ACDC. Uh, what is your spirit animal? Uh, rabbit. Weirdest secret talent. Say that again. Weirdest secret talent. Oh, welding. Oh, no. Nice. Right on. Name one band you would like to collaborate with. Um, good question. Uh, you see, the music questions are really hard for me because, like, they <laughs> one band I'd like to collaborate with. Yeah. Um, anybody. Pete Townsend. All okay. Right. Yeah. Have you ever peed on something public? Yes. 
Are groupies still a thing? Not the same way. Okay. Boxers or briefs? Boxers. And favorite podcast you've been on in the last 12 hours? Yours. All right. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, yeah, man. You're a good sport. Yeah, that was yeah, good, man. That was, that was great. smooth. Yep. Um, <laughs> so we do have one more. Well, we, we generally have a question that happens from our, our previous guest. And um, our last guest was uh, director-producer Lloyd Kaufman. And okay. um, he actually broke our guest question mold. And uh, instead, he wanted to do a little something. He wanted to challenge you to enter his 45 years of trauma contest. And, oh, that's uh, great. You know, it, it just before you say that, because you just brought something up, that's like when the Spin Doctors played Saturday Night Live, we played the week after Sinead O'Connor ripped up a picture of the Pope on TV. Ooh. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> first thing that happened when, <laughs> the very first thing that happened when, uh, when we got to the studio was that Lauren Michaels walked in and, like, said, don't be pulling any shit yeah. like that. Yeah. You don't have any pictures of the Pope back there, do you? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I can just imagine like, Lauren Michaels being like pissed the weirdest, about that. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. I'm ready. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, he just wants you to enter his uh, 45 Years of Trauma contest. So you, there's a, a link. I'll send it over to you at some point uh, if you write a two-line review or longer of your favorite trauma film. And, okay. and, and the nice thing is, if you get chosen, uh, you can be on uh, their new Blu-ray release. Or far out, man. Well, yeah. I'll do it. I think that'd be, cool. that'd be fun. Yeah, that's maybe, kind of maybe. a cool thing that he did. It's a little, it's a switch up, but I like yeah. it. Yeah. So I, I, maybe we should start getting people to, you know, do challenges. It, it could be fun too. Yeah. 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 That's a good one. I like that one, man. That yeah. pay it forward. Yeah. Um, so uh, at uh, at some point, uh, if if you have a question or something you want to do for our next guest, uh, you can either tell us now or uh, we can connect with you later. Do we know who it's going to be for? Uh, and it could be. Uh, yeah, that's what I was going to ask. You. So I think the next one, unless unless something changes or it gets pushed around, I believe it is uh, fifty four forty. Okay. Far out, man. Yeah. Um, let me just think about that for a second. Sure. Uh, yeah. So that was a challenge, like thing, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah, you can um, you can send us a question later, man. It's, yeah, no worries. We don't want to put you on the spot like that. All right, great. So yeah, Perfect. send me send me your uh, so I know where you are, and yeah. then uh, I'll send you a question back. Sounds great. Sounds good, man. All right. Is there anything you want well, to plug right now? Anything that you want to throw yeah, out there to yeah. the audience? Plug um, definitely. I want to plug my Wednesday gig at Grossman's Tavern in Toronto. I'm there almost every Wednesday from 10 p.m. to 1:30, and we we play with. Uh, uh, largely with myself and a guy named Leonardo Valvasori on bass, who's usually Sue Foley's bass player. And, uh, and, and uh, we have many, many different drummers this week. For example, it's uh, uh, Glenn Milchum from Blue Rodeo. So we have lots of guys, like classic Canadian drummers. And uh, so that's my first plug. And then my second plug is uh, my YouTube channel. Go to my YouTube channel and check it out and let me know what you think of my videos. I've been working on them all year. So it's kind of like, I love I love hearing back from people, and I've been fucking with the medium as best as I can too. So, and I, I continue to put more content on there. So, Excellent. that's uh, that's what I want to plug is my YouTube channel, and through my YouTube channel, you know, you'll you'll you, if you like if you like what you see there, you know, any of the social media things. But my videos are right there, so have it check it out and uh, let me know. You know, I love to talk to people. So perfect. And then and if anybody jumps it. over to our website, uh, they can also access uh, your website, and I think we've posted yeah. up some uh, uh, links to your videos as well. Check out my video, Agent Orange Blues. Tell me yeah. what you think. That's right. that's good. I was going to get into that, but uh, we're, we are uh, getting close to the end, so uh, maybe we'll, we'll follow yeah, up with you at some point, and I'd like to talk to you about that one as well. Yeah. Well, yeah. I got it in there. Excellent. Excellent. Perfect. Yeah, so plug that. 
plug that one. Put the plug for Agent Orange Blues in the YouTube channel, and then who shot John? You got it, brother. Sounds great. You got it. Sounds great. Excellent. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much for all your time, uh, and uh, we will uh, definitely connect with you with, with that uh, uh, guest uh, question, and uh, we hope to have you back on the show. Anytime, bro. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thanks, Eric. Thank you very much for having Take me. Care. Take care. All right. Bye. All right, so it's a good time for us to pitch our social media. You can get us at our uh, website. Is thefap.ca. Our um, Twitter. Is thefap4. Our Instagram. Is the Fap Podcast. Our Facebook. Is the Freaking Awesome Podcast. And uh, well, I always feel like I'm missing one. You always forget email. Email. What, what email? <laughs> Podcast at gmail.com. So thanks for tuning in to the Freaking Awesome Podcast. We hate to see you go. But we love to see you come. I'm on the air. We on the air. We got this podcast. Ah, uh, oh, not again. Wicked sweet. Eh. <laughs>